Good morning. Uh, good morning to our American Fork Extension campus. Can you guys say hi to them? Hi. Um, I'm Jody Van Ree. I'm the lead pastor here at the Adventure, or lead pastor if you're into precious metals. Um, I am I'm both nervous and excited to, to bring this topic today. As you know, we're going through a series of the greatest sermon ever preached uh, by Jesus Christ. It was preached on a mountain, the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going straight through. So I don't want you to think that uh, I prepared this for any particular individual or anything. This is just, we're just going through. And so today, um, our topic is, if looks could kill, what Jesus says about lust. So turn to the person next to you and say, we're going to talk about sex in church. (laughs) Go ahead. You guys are so prudish. (laughs) Come on. Then look at the other person and go, what? in church. They're going to talk about sex in church. Yes. Do you know why? Because Jesus talked about it. He was subtle. He wasn't crude. But we're going we're gonna to talk about sex is God's idea. And we're going to talk about some pitfalls that we can fall into because it is a natural part of our appetite. It's a natural part of our, our making. Um, there are, we're going to talk about some extremes. You can go one extreme or the other on it. But... Um, and we're going to talk about some victims of, of the distortions that come in this particular area. So as you can tell, I really need prayer. So can we just go together and invite the Spirit of the Lord to come and speak? Well, Father, I thank you that you are faithful. I am so grateful, Lord, that you have given us your word, that your word is truth. We trust you, Lord. We trust your voice, and we trust the things that you have spoken to us. We just invite you, we welcome your presence, and we ask that you would speak through me, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Matthew 5.27, this is Jesus speaking. He says, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better to you, for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So today I was going to ask for some volunteers. Is there anyone that would like to come forward and demonstrate plucking out their eye or cutting off their hand? Anybody? No. No. Thank you. He's offering a knife. Um, so, you know, you hear about people say, well, you know, I really, I really think Jesus was really a good teacher. And, you know, he was really cool. It's just, I just really don't like Christians. And, you know, I can understand that. I think um, there have been some bad representations of the disciples of Jesus. You know, we're all extremely flawed. We're all very human. But um, Jesus was pretty, he was pretty edgy in his teaching. Now imagine this. So you've heard this teaching your whole life. You've heard you shouldn't commit adultery. And pretty much everybody's like, makes sense. You know, most of the Ten Commandments make sense, don't they? Don't steal, don't murder, don't lie, don't gossip, don't covet, 
you know, they make sense. But then Jesus gets all crazy. And he's like, no, no, no. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. So don't do that. However, I'm saying to you, even if you look at someone with that desire in your heart, it's as if you've already done it. Remember when we talked about anger? And, you know, it says, if you, if you call someone an idiot, that is the same thing as murdering them. It's all extreme. It's whatever is in our heart. And the thing is, you know, God, God knows that we are sensual people. He knows that we're going to be tempted. And so the thing is, it's not about looking. If you look at someone, you can recognize beauty in someone but it's what do you do with it after that first look? And Jesus is really, as usual, talking about our heart. And so I just want to make sure that you understand, first and foremost, that sex is God's idea. He created sex. I mean, I think there's, there's like I said, there's the one extreme or the other. There's the one extreme that says, anytime with anyone, no matter what. And then there's the other extreme that's, no, only for purposes of procreation, and then only in one position, and, you know, all of that. <laughs> and, and God is saying, you guys are totally missing out. I want to bless you. I mean, the Bible talks about sex a lot. There are, there's a whole entire book in the Bible that talks about sensual love between two, a married couple. It says... Um, in Genesis 1.27, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and said, go for it. <laughs> That's the paraphrase version. Be fruitful. Multiply. Well, how do you do that? Anybody? <laughs> I'm not asking for volunteers. <laughs> God commanded this. He commanded this. For married couples. I mean, there are sections in the Bible where it says, don't withhold from each other. You know, your, your body belongs to your spouse. And the thing is, there are so many distortions that take place in our lives. I mean, there's, there's molestation and there's trauma and there's all kinds of sexual deviancies and perversions. And they really distort this thing that God meant to be such a gift. And such a beautiful thing, such a unifying thing. I mean, when he says, be fruitful and multiply, he is talking about not just have a whole mess load of kids. He is talking about being fruitful in your marriage bed or wherever. I'm, I'm really praying for a filter today, <laughs> okay? So, security... Um, Genesis 2.24 says, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Okay, now that's in the Old Testament. Now in the New Testament, Jesus says, Haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female, and he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his, want, to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is not just talking about a physical union. This is talking about a holistic union. 
You know, we are created mind, heart, or emotions, spirit, and physical. And the, the problem with the, the kind of sexual sin where it's anybody, anytime, whenever I feel like it with no restraint is that's taking one aspect, that's the physical, and it's fragmenting the person. And the reason that I think so many people, they, they confuse lust and love is because they feel lust. And so because we're holistic, we want everything to be unified. We want all the parts of us to be unified. So a lot of times people have a, a hookup or whatever, and, I mean, there's, there's the situation where they just, that's it, one night stand, that's it. I mean, that's like animals. Animals can do that, right? I mean, there are certain animals that mate for life, but for the most part, it's different. Can we just admit that it's different? Yeah. I, can you guys admit that we're different than animals? Okay. You guys aren't really decisive about that. (laughs) Anyway, um, the thing is that that when, when we fragment our spirit, we try to make something real out of something that may not be real. And so we're going to get into some of those distortions later. But, you know, the Proverbs talks about sexual love between a husband and wife. It talks about, I mean, it gets pretty, I mean, it's beautiful and it's poetic, but gets pretty real, keeps it pretty graphic. Um, First Corinthians talks about it a lot. We're going we're to share a little bit of that now, but I, I want to make sure that you understand that when, when the Bible is talking about the two becoming one, it is not simply talking about a physical act. It is talking about the entire person, the holistic person. Um, the message says, First uh, Corinthians 6, now this is a really loose translation. It's just kind of more like a paraphrase. It's more like a story. But it's, it's fun to read it in the message sometimes because it really illuminates certain things that you might have missed when you read it out of the more static translation, which means kind of more word to word. It says, just because something is technically legal doesn't mean that it's spiritually appropriate. Now, if I went around doing whatever I thought I could get away with, I would be a slave to my whims. You know the old saying, first you eat to live, then you live to eat. Well, it may be true that the body is only a temporary thing, but that's no excuse for stuffing your body with food or indulging it with sex. Since our master honors you with a body, honor him with your body. God honored the master's body by raising it from the grave. He will treat yours with the same resurrection power. Until that time, remember, your bodies are created with the same dignity as God's body. You wouldn't take the master's body off to a whorehouse, would you? I hope not. For there's more to sex than just simply skin to skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As is written in the scriptures, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with our master, we must not... Now, when it says master, it's talking about God. I hope you understand that. It's saying God. It says we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. This is the kind of sex that can never truly become one. 
there's a sense in which sexual sins are different from all other sins. In sexual sins, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies, these bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love, for becoming one with one another. Or didn't you realize your body is a sacred place? Your body is a sacred place. Didn't you realize that it's a place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please and squander what God has paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. Now, this is the human condition. The sexual appetite is a God-given thing. It's for the purpose of not only procreating, which is obvious, but it's also for the purpose of being fulfilled within a marital union. This is talking about marriage between a husband and a wife, a man and woman who are committed to one another through marriage, not just committed to each other through, you know, like, oh, I like you. Oh, I like you too. Not like that, like married, okay? So if we say that we would never be sexually tempted, that's kind of like saying you would never be hungry. It is a natural part of who we are. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. For the temptation of your life is no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so you can endure. And in James 1, 4, or one fourteen, it says, everyone is, in, is tempted when by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. Now, this is talking about what Jesus said about lust. Not talking about, you know, uh, an affection for your spouse or even an admiration for someone who may be beautiful. I mean, it's, it's unrealistic to say, oh, you know, there's only one person that's beautiful in the world and that's my wife. I mean, that's just not realistic. You've you got to remember, women were the last thing that God created. That was, like, that was like the pinnacle right there. Remember? And he said, it's very good. And he, I think personally, God, God gave men such a strong sexual appetite so that back in the days when they'd go out and hunt, they'd have a reason to go back home. Maybe? Okay. Anyway, that's just my, the world according to Jody. Um, Matthew 5.28, I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust. Now, that's the, that's the prepositional phrase that makes all the difference. If you look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. The word for desire or lust here, the original Greek means to covet. It's the same thing as to be envious of someone else or to want something that doesn't belong to you. That's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying don't have sex within your marriage. He's saying go for it. That was the first commandment. But here he's saying if you're looking at someone and thinking about them in an inappropriate way or in a way that would dishonor either your spouse or the Lord, that is the thing that is serious. That is the thing that is significant. That is what we would call sin. Sin with two ends. <laughs> um, lust is the same as coveting. It's basically the same thing, wanting something that does not belong to you. So Jesus says, 
uh, Matthew 5.29. If your eye, even your good eye, now I want to explain this. The good eye means that place where your decisions are made, that place that, that, makes a, that has authority in determining your choices, that place that, that provides honor. And so it's talking about, it's not just saying if you're, if you're left-handed, then, then you're not as important. It's just talking about your right eye and your right hand being the, the place where, where your authority lies in your own heart and your own life. He says, if your eye, your good eye causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Okay, Jesus, even though it sounds all crazy and, and he's being really extreme here, he's not saying to them, literally, pluck out your eye. He's saying, do whatever it takes to get a grip on this, to get a hold of this, to not go to the place of hell that, that this will lead you. Because it's talking about Gehenna. Can you show that picture of Gehenna? It says, if your hand, even your strong hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to lose part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into Gehenna, which this is, uh, the picture's not very clear, but it's a, actually it's a real place. It's in the Valley of Hinnom. And it's a dump. It's a garbage dump, and the fire never quenches. It's constantly burning, and it's this disgusting place. It stinks, and they burn all kinds of carcasses out there, and it's a disgusting place. So you imagine you're hearing this message, and he's saying, you know, if you continue with this lust thing, you're going to end up in this form of hell. This particular place was where they used to sacrifice babies to Moloch. It's a horrible place. And so when Jesus is talking about that, there's, there's several different words that unfortunately the, the, the scholars have translated into the word hell. But this is talking about Gehenna, which is a very specific place. And again, you know, the lust and the desire for things not belonging to us unfortunately, is never, ever satisfied. It's never fulfilled. You know, I, I can say this from, from personal experience, unfortunately. You know, the Lord has delivered me from so much. I had a lot of trauma as a child, a lot of uh, sexual trauma, and it forced me to kind of lose that moral compass. And there was really the tearing apart of my soul each and every time I would give my body away, there was a tearing, and it took literally years for me to get completely healed and whole and set free from that. It created all kinds of problems in my marriage. And I just want to say this to the young people. I know that the world's telling you that it's not cool to be a virgin on your wedding night, that you have to be experienced, that you, you know, whatever. But I, I think there are many of us that would say to you, save yourself. And let it be the beautiful thing that God wants it to be. Don't fall into the lies. I mean, I thank God for his healing power. I thank God for his deliverance. But I, I certainly wish, going back, that I would have chosen a different path. The, 
the word that it's talking about here, if, if your eye or your hand cause you to stumble, that word stumble is scandalizo, which it also means scandal, the thing that causes a scandal in your life or causes an offense or causes you to do something that you wouldn't normally do. It's not, Jesus is saying it's not really what you do, it's about what you want to do. Just like when we talked about anger, it's not really about what you do when you're angry. It's about what you think about doing and what you want to do to that person, the murder that's in your heart. And I want to say, you know, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We are wrestling against principalities and powers and rulers in the darkness. There is a, an absolute spirit behind the spirit, behind lust. I think there is a demonic spirit. I mean, because I remember a while back looking and seeing, you know, you see like a woman wearing lingerie, for example. I don't want to get your minds distracted, but you see it in like the JCPenney catalog or, you know, the Sears catalog or Walmart or whatever. And you see it and it, it doesn't have that same draw as when the woman is on the cover of a magazine and she's got this alluring look about her. There's like a spirit behind it. And in the book of Proverbs, it talks about this immoral woman. And it talks about how she tries to entice these men. And it says that ultimately what ends up happening is their lives come to ruin. They're reduced to a loaf of bread. It says, it says that, that these things will bring you to devastation if carried out to the fullest extent. So Jesus is saying, get rid of whatever you have to get rid of in order to not go down that path toward hell toward that hellish life. Does that make sense? Okay, it's not talking about admiring someone who is attractive or being able to look at someone and saying, yeah, they're, they're very attractive. It's a very attractive person. It's what is behind when you look at that person? What is it? Let me just ask you this, a little time of self-reflection. What is the thing that causes you scandalizo? causes you to stumble? What is the thing that causes you to lust? Is it your smartphone or your laptop or just your thoughts? I mean, for women, I think a lot of times it's, I'm sorry, I'm popping here. It's fantasy it's, you know, reading romance novels and fantasizing about what's going on in this book, imagining that that's us. What is it? What is it that makes you lust? I, I say the next part is the hell that is lust, the Gehenna, the hell, that garbage dump, the place of, of constant burning, you know, don't you think it's interesting that Jesus uses the, the term Gehenna where it's a fire? And that whole thing about lust is constantly, it's a burning. There's a burning that is within us that is never satisfied. The statistics on pornography are staggering. I, I have to say my heart was, was absolutely grieved as I was studying this week. The percentages. And you know, it, it's like, it's so flippant. Like, you know, you see people on TV, and it's like a joke. You know, they laugh about it like it's, yeah, that's just a normal part of life. 
but we're going to talk today a little bit about the hell that it brings, that it can bring. And the percentages are a little bit staggering. Men between the ages of 50 and 68, 50% of them view pornography at least once a week. Men between 31 and 49, 67%. And men between 18 and 30, 79%. For women, women between 50 and 68, it's only 4%. Between 31 and 49, it's 16%. But this next statistic is shocking to me. Women between the ages of 18 and 30, it is 76%. Three out of four. So I want to urge you that you parents, please talk to your children about sex. Please don't let it be a taboo subject in your home. Talk openly about it. Make yourself a safe place for your kids to come and ask you questions because trust me, they are, they are being exposed to things. I hate to say that, but I, I talked to a man yesterday and he said that his 11-year-old son came home from school and was talking about some of the things that some of, the, some of his friends had passed around on their smartphones at school. The pornography industry is between 12 and $100 billion. They can't really track it because a lot of it's underground. This is more than Microsoft, Google, Amazon, eBay, Yahoo, Apple, Netflix, and Earthlink all combined. 30% of all of the activity that's on the Internet is pornography. 30. That includes every business dealing. That includes Facebook. That includes all different forms of email, everything. This is truly a first-world problem. It's a first-world problem because things have changed so much. Now it's, I mean, you can just be innocently going on your computer and Googling something and some horrible, raucous thing comes up on your screen. Not that you're looking for it. It just shows up. Am I right? And the thing is that Jesus is saying, Go to extreme measures to keep yourself pure so that you can be fulfilled in your sex life, so that you don't have this burning that's never quenched. There are spirits behind pornography, and it brings damage, and and some of the victims of lust are the individual themselves. You know, I, uh, I hate talking about myself, but I just want you to know that I'm coming from a place where I'm not standing in any kind of condescension or any judgment. I used to. Um, I used to kind of be like, so why do men have to do that? That is just so sick. This is when I was in my judgmental phase. Remember, I used to think it was a spiritual gift. This is when I used to be really judgmental. I had just become a Christian. I mean, it came, whoo, you know, I told you about my past and the world and porn was, a, you know, that was an everyday part of my life. But then once I became... Once I became righteous, <laughs> then, I, then I was judging everybody else. So I went through this phase where I was just like, well, Jody judgmental. And, um, and I couldn't understand why, why so many men struggled with this area. And then I met someone, and it caused me to yearn for this guy, somebody I wasn't married to. I was married at the time, but... And I, I feel like the Lord let me sense that so that I had a little understanding of what it feels like to burn 
Because that's what the Bible says. It says that you're, you burn. You're burning with lust. The problem is that when we have fantasies with fake people who never say no and who always are created in our image however we want them to be, they do whatever we want them to do, then it makes us unable to bond with our, with our marriage partner. Because sometimes our marriage partner, let's admit it, sometimes they have a headache, right? Sometimes they don't feel like it. Or sometimes they're not comfortable doing something that you want to do. I'm trying not to get graphic here. How am I doing? Okay. (laughs) Have I offended anybody yet? Just raise your hand. Okay, good. You see, it's talking about this fake person, this phantom person, this person who, you know, it's the alluring, it's that, that immoral woman that Proverbs talks about. through It's like 5, 6, and 7 through that area. It talks about this quite extensively. And she's, she's luring you in. And she, she'll do whatever you want. But then the problem is then you go to your, your real-life spouse and you can't connect. The phantom is always changing. The phantom never says no. And the thing is that sex without em- emotional closeness or commitment, again, it it fragments us. People become unsatisfied with their marriage. And ultimately, it creates a sense of loneliness, low self-esteem, and emptiness. And the saddest part of it is that it becomes an addiction. I know that there are several people going through the Conquer series right now, and I don't know any of you, I don't know anybody that's in the course, but I am so proud of you for standing up to this and saying, I don't want to be controlled anymore by this. I don't want to be bound by this anymore. Because the thing is, it is legitimately addictive. You know, the levels of dopamine that are released and all the different chemicals, they create a change in your, in your brain. It's a physical change. It starts out as a choice, but eventually it becomes an addiction. And in the same way with any other addiction to cocaine or meth or heroin or anything, there, there is a, a chemical reaction, and it, and it starts to need more and more and more. And your brain has to be rewired in the same way with any other form of addiction. And the, and the thing to ask yourself is, could I stop at any time? And do I stop at any time? The hunger that goes unfulfilled. And, you know, there's a, there's a phenomenon now that is so tragic that because of the rise in pornography, um, teenage boys are struggling with sexual dysfunction because they've been viewing this stuff that takes them deeper and deeper and deeper into this hellish place that when they can't just do what teenage boys naturally do like 23 hours a day. I mean, they, they just can't. And it's the same with, with uh, even married men who are addicted. They can't perform for their spouse. Our standard gets lowered, and we, we can do things that we wouldn't normally do. And, and now this is, these are two, I'm going to give you th- well, th- three really extreme cases, but ultimately this is, this is the hell that lust can lead to. There was a man named Ariel Castro. He was on the news a few years back who held three women in captivity for over a decade for sex slaves. And he says, quote, I believe I'm addicted to pornography 
to a point that it makes me impulsive and I don't even realize what I'm doing is wrong. Mr. Castro said that it was his habit to watch pornography for two to three hours every day. There was a serial killer named Ted Bundy. He actually lived in Salt Lake for a while. He said, I've lived in prison long enough now and met enough men who were motivated to commit violence just like me. And without exception, every single one of them was deeply involved in pornography without question and without exception, deeply influenced and consumed by an addiction to pornography. Well-meaning, decent people will condemn the behavior of a Ted Bundy while they walk past the magazine rack full of the very kinds of things that will send young boys down the road to becoming Ted Bundys. Those of us who are and who have been so much influenced by the violence in the media, particularly pornographic violence, are not some kind of inherent monsters. We are your sons and we are your husbands. And we grew up in regular families. And pornography can reach out and snatch a kid out of any house today. It snatched me out of my home 30 years ago. And I met a man personally who who worked with... uh, violent or sex offenders, any kind of sex offender in prison. He did this study. He, w- he had a PhD in psychology. And he said that when he interviewed them, there was not one exception to the rule that every single person who was a sex offender, everyone without exception, started out looking at pornography, every single one of them. So as you can see, it's devastating for a person to have to experience this. And I know many of you are living in this hell. And I want to just say, God is a God of hope. God loves you. And he has freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And I know that God is in the business of setting people free. And specifically in this season right now, I really believe the Holy Spirit wants to do a work in setting people free from this lie and from this bondage. But there are also victims in the partners of the people who are lusting and, and viewing pornography. It's the, the spouse. And what happens is that they begin to feel hurt. They feel as if their spouse has been unfaithful because Jesus said, if you lust for someone, it is just like committing adultery. And that is the same feeling. Many women who discover that their husbands are looking at pornography. Oftentimes they don't know for a long time, but when they discover it, they experience post-traumatic stress disorder, the same as a a soldier coming back from combat. A lot of times they feel um, their self-esteem is lowered. They start to obsess over their looks or over their performance, trying to do things to, to gain their partner's attention. They become obsessed with trying to please. They change their appearance or they, I was just talking to somebody between services and who, who said that at a season in his life, he was, um, he was working at a strip club and um, he just kind of became desensitized to it. And so he went home to his wife and, you know, tried to introduce things into their marriage bed that she was very uncomfortable doing. And, and yet she felt like, she felt kind of desperate, like I have to do this because he's my husband. And how much destruction that can bring to a soul. The partner feels the pressure to perform acts that they wouldn't normally choose. But the thing is, again, God created sex and he created it to be awesome. And so in Hebrews 13, 4, it says, Give honor to marriage. Remain faithful to one one another in marriage. 
This is talking about the marriage bed. It's saying the marriage bed, I mean, I heard, I heard uh, a pastor say, marriage is like having a slumber party with your best friend every night, right? It says, God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. The third victim of lust, we saw some examples of it. Um, little Marjorie in the Philippines. She comes to church to play with the kids, but then during a week she's sold as a prostitute. I mean, there's the sex slaves, sex trade, and it's huge in Utah. In Utah, it's huge. These are like the commodities, the products. You know, there was a quote that one guy had. He said, to me, the women that I view on these pornographic sites, they're just like like cereal. I mean, they're just a product that I use up and, can, and just toss aside. The thing is, you know, Eric, my, uh, my husband who passed away a year ago, he came into our marriage with a problem with pornography. He grew up in a family where there were kind of no limits. And um, when he started to read this passage about what Jesus says about, you know, plucking out your eye or cutting off your hand, he started to realize that he had a problem. And he was willing to do whatever it took. And he fasted and prayed for three days. And God set him free. And God gave him all these revelations. So I want to give you hope. I don't want to give you some kind of a little pat answer, but I know that God can deliver. And one of the things that he said that the Lord showed him was each and every one of those porn stars was created in the image of God and someone for whom Christ went to the cross and died to forgive them. Every single one of those people, the, the guy I was telling you about who used to work in a strip club, he said they all had real names not just their stage names, but he knew their real names. They were human beings, many of whom had kids or parents. You know, these are human beings, and Jesus died on the cross for them. But they become like products, like just commodities. And so Jesus is saying there is a need for drastic measures. What is it? What do you need to do? Do you, I mean, do you... Stumble on your smartphone? Get a dumb phone. I mean, how much Googling do you really need to do <laughs> during the day? Right? Is it really worth the hell and being bound? The first thing is confession. You know, just like any addiction, any 12-step program, it's like you have to admit, I am helpless. I can't get set free on this of my own. I need to confess it. Get it in the light because Satan lurks in the darkness. He's the prince of the darkness. He wants us to keep our sins hidden. And it says in Proverbs 28, 13, people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Get it in the light. Confess it to somebody. Confess it to your community group leader. Confess it to your best friend. Confess it to your spouse. Confess it to somebody who is going to be there for you and be a safe place for you, and hold you accountability, which is the next thing. There's the importance of ongoing accountability. The, the, the people, again, that are going to the Conqueror series, I am so proud, and I'm so excited for the season that the Lord has us in. 
James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of the righteous person has great power, produces wonderful results. Elijah was a man, just a human, just as we are. And when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Isn't that amazing? Elijah was a guy just like us. But when he earnestly prayed, it didn't rain for three and a half days. Wait. Three and a half years, three and a half days, three and a half years. The Bible says that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person can accomplish much. And this is an area where you can get set free. Get someone who will sit down with you and meet with you and give someone the passcode to your phone so they can pick it up at any time and check it. Just whatever it takes, pluck out your eye. That's what it's talking about. It's not an actual physical thing. It's just do whatever you have to do to get set free and to get delivered because God is a God of hope. And I keep saying this, but it is so true. And he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. I can't even tell you. My prayer for you on a regular basis is that you would have a revelation of his love that you would see how wide and high and deep and long his love is God is not standing over you going you pervert that is not the heart of God God is saying I have come to set you free I have come to give you abundant life I have come to fulfill you and to bless you that's why he came he's not a killjoy Thank you, Lord. The Lord has freedom. He has freedom and he has forgiveness. The Lord is a God of forgiveness. That is the whole reason Jesus went to the cross, is so that we could be free from the shame, free from the bondage of sin, free from death even. Jesus went to the cross to overcome sin and death and bondage and shame. So I just, I speak release over you in the name of Jesus. I want you to know the Lord says you are free from your shame. You do not have to walk around feeling shame any longer. You are forgiven in the name of Jesus. And I, I want to ask anybody, if you have not ever made an encounter with Jesus, you've never come to know him personally, you are not born again of his Holy Spirit like it talks about in John, just ask, just raise your hand just as a sign between you and God that you want more, that you want to know him, that you want to receive his forgiveness. Yeah, amen, 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 amen. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. And I just pray for the rest of you. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I ask for a spirit of boldness that people would be willing, God, to share the good news that we can be free, that we can be delivered, we can be healed, we can be forgiven in the name of Jesus. And now the Lord bless you as you go. I love you guys. I pray that God would just massage this message into your heart and that you could walk in freedom. Find someone you can confess to if you need to and know that you are going to be received with love and grace. In the name of Jesus, amen? Amen. Love you guys.